Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. One more again, one more again, just with me. Hosanna. Yeah. Hosanna. In the highest. We believe him to be high. How many of you believe God to be high? How many of you believe Jesus to be the highest? of highest in the triumphal entry when Jesus was coming in it proved not to be as triumphal but as he came in the week before his death um, he said go get me a donkey he said go down to them folks house down there and tell them I said the Lord has need of it now imagine you going to somebody's house in somebody's yard to get something because Jesus told you to tell them the Lord has need of it. And they brought the donkey to him. Somehow the people knew, I don't know if Jesus talked to him or the Holy Ghost talked to him, but he got the donkey and he began to ride in on a colt and fulfilling prophecy. The Bible says the Lord of glory will ride into Zion on a colt. And as he began to ride in, they picked up palm branches and began to throw them down and say, Hosannas, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's the beauty of this song. It means save us, Lord, we pray. And how many of you know on the cross he answered that? He answered that prayer. Save us, Lord, we pray. Save us, Lord, we pray. That's the beauty of our God. Amen, amen. Um, this entire series is titled, titled We're Family Now, question mark explanation point let's go before the Lord God Almighty Lord God um, we I'm thankful we are thankful for the ability to be brought into the body I think one of the um, things that I don't know if we really think of unless you're at an extremely small church where everybody sort of knows everyone um, they will probably think of themselves as family but across the body many times um, even in our local churches, maybe sometimes we think of ourselves as family, <clears throat> but as a broad body of Christ, Universal Church, we got some family struggles that we need you to work through um, so that we can function based on our identity. And Lord God, I pray that you would give massive amounts of wisdom uh, as you change our hearts. We've done a series and several series that's focused more on the personal impact of the gospel. Now we need to talk about how the gospel is broader than just regeneration. Um, we, 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 we need to look at the gospel that has family impact, generational impact, systemic impact on systems and structures that need to be torn down. And so God, um, be with me 
even in the lack of amens. Um, be with me. Stand strong in me. Help me to proclaim every last bit of it with integrity, without fear, and without man-pleasing. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, we're family now. Um, God, <clears throat> the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, as a whole, as one God, has a lot of aliases and nicknames in the Bible. Um, uh, have all different types of names that are names that emphasize different aspects of their character. God the Son, in particular, has a ton of aliases, um, if you will. Rose of Sharon, uh, the, the blessing only potentate. Somebody said, I don't even know what that means, but it's good stuff. I ain't got time to break it down this morning. But he has a whole bunch of names. Um, as a matter of fact, in my book, um, uh, Be God to the Punch, I, I, I put a bunch of his surnames in there or his nicknames or his aliases or uh, uh, if you will in there. And, and, and the Holy Spirit has a multiplicity of names, spirit of truth, spirit of holiness, Lord, uh, uh, angel of the Lord. Uh, he has a lot of nicknames. Uh, um, 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 but it's interesting that in reflection of the Godhead, we as the church have a lot of nicknames. And these nicknames are, are to describe what our identity is and how we relate to God, the world, and one another. There are a lot of them that, that, that I like. I like assembly of the saints. I like that. Assembly of the upright. Body of Christ. Branch of God's planting. Bride of Christ. Church of God. Church of the living God. These sound like church titles, don't they? Right on the block with the pastor's name under founder and everything. <laughs> Church of the firstborn, city of the living God, congregation of saints, congregation of the poor. Dove, flock of God, fold of Christ, general assembly of the firstborn, golden candlestick, God's building, God's husbandry, God's uh, 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 heritage, habitation of God, a heavenly, a heavenly of Jerusalem, holy city, holy mountain, holy hill, house of God, all these, Israel of God, king's daughter, lamb's wife, lot of God's inheritance, Mount Zion, New Jerusalem, pillar and ground of truth. I like that. All of those are, are, are great titles. And there are many of titles that we go by. Yet today, as I go through the book of Philemon, I think it's appropriate to emphasize one particular title, and that is House of God, or Household of Faith. The word usually used of house in the Bible is oikos. When you think of oikos or house, you think of something totally different than you would if you were thinking about a business house or business facility, or a supermarket, or any other type of face. When you think about house, you think of family. It speaks deeply of family and those who have genetic and adopted connection. Uh, uh, we are both adopted and genetically connected through the new blood type called the blood of Christ. 
Um, and, 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 and that reality sets us up as family to think about the household of faith pointing to a multiplicity of things because family is where you receive your greatest encouragements and because of your connection to it, your greatest hurts. Um, family is where we learn dignity, significance, purpose, and our value. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we feel accepted and this sense of belonging that's different because we're bought by Jesus Christ. Yet, I, I believe that we are in a high turn in our culture in America. I believe it got quiet right there. Y'all know exactly where I'm going. It's okay. I'm going to step right into it. Um, we've gone through the great schism in uh, about 1,000 AD, around that time of the Eastern and Western church, or before that, if you will, and where the Eastern and Western church separated from each other. And there was a great schism that exists to this day, and then the Western church went through a second schism that they nicknamed the Res Res Reformation, but it really was a schism. Uh, 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 and, 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 we've, and then we had another schism that happened in the American church, um, that, that's coming close to about 300 years old down in South Philly at a United Methodist Church when Absalom Jones and Richard Allen was kicked out of church because of their ethnicity. And they started the known uh, first black church denomination. And it's funny when people say um, there's no such thing as the black church. And that's tough when it comes from somebody whose ancestors helped create it. Um, the black church exists because the white church was the white church, not the church. So therefore, there was a white church before there was a black church. And so when we look at that, and yet, I'll give you this for free, blacks in church history didn't start in slavery. It started 2,000 years ago. That's for free. Um, and so when we look at the landscape now, we're on another great schism where black Christians in America are sick of the white supremacy within white evangelicalism. I told you there weren't going to be many amens today. We, we believe theologically in the theological tenets of evangelicalism. However, because of evangelicalism's cultural captivity to, to politics, and America and being American. We now cross ethnically, a lot of us don't ascribe to evangelicalism because it's not a doctrine, it's an ethical ideology. And so, and so in light of that reality, we, we, we have to part with your lack of commitment to human dignity. We have to depart from your ethical connection to American Western Eurocentric whiteness. And we bid those who want to abandon ship to follow. No matter what ethnicity, because as we transition and we begin to look at this text, we're going to see some powerful things. Is We're going to see some powerful things about what the Bible actually teaches about slavery. 
We're going to look at and see what the Bible actually teaches about reconciliation. We're going to see what the Bible actually teaches about what the oppressed's role is and what the oppressors, whether you believe it or not, overt or covert oppression both exist still. And so in light of that reality, if we're in one body, what is our identity and function as a unified community that lives functionally disunified today? What are we going to do with a gospel that doesn't just change your soul, but changes who you hold hands with? Well, what are you going to do if... The gospel calls you to be more of a brother to someone that doesn't look like you externally, but looks like you internally because you look like someone in eternity. And what what does the gospel call us to do? And so we will step our foot in this whether you like it or not. And I got three points, not usually, y'all know I usually have one. But for my point people, I said, let me give them more points this time. Because y'all like points. Be quiet, Jeremiah. And then I'll be out of your way. Number one. Number one. Family removes formalities. Family removes formalities. Look at the verse. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. <laughs> this is interesting. Because Paul, usually in most epistles except for a few, emphasize his apostleship. He emphasizes his apostleship usually to emphasize a beatdown that you're about to get verbally. He, he usually, by like, Corinthians, I'm an apostle. I just want to let y'all know right now, it's, it's, I'm about to keep it all the way 1,000, right? That's Paul. Like, Paul, Paul's like that. But it's interesting that here he doesn't lead out as an apostle. He leads out as a prisoner. And he's talking to a guy we'll meet in a few minutes who's a slave owner. And this slave owner, the slave owner is the title of this book. And he's a Christian. And Paul has to call out the inconsistencies in his sanctification process. So instead of, now he could have just went ballistic on him about his false dichotomies in his faith as a believer and called himself an apostle, but he calls himself a prisoner. Prisoner for a Christian is a powerful term. Prisoner for a a Christian is an extremely powerful term because being in prison is based on who and what and where you're attached to. If you're in prison to your sins, then your sins determine what's freedom for you. If you're imprisoned to an unjust system, it determines what freedom looks like for you. However, on the other hand, If you're chained or imprisoned to Christ Jesus, then freedom looks different. Help me today. Because to be be free in Christ is to be truly free. In other words, many of us think as an unbeliever, 
We, 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 when we become believers, we based our freedom based on what God says we can't do and view what we can't do as the center of our life, therefore view ourselves in bondage. The, the problem with that ideology is when you were out there lost, you didn't realize how stupid and ir, ir, uh, ignorant you were, like me included. There was stuff that I was on and wilding that I was doing. You know, I mean, back in my day, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not trying to glorify anything. Would you, we in college listening to Snoop Dogg on uh, walking down the street, smoking endo, sipping on gin and juice. And we puff, puff passing. Some of y'all, sorry. And we thought of ourselves as free. We thought ganja was helping our minds to get free. Had the black light on and the room was changing and, and we thought we were free. And I got to be a believer and realize I was in the room with a bunch of goons, a pocket full of money, getting high, not knowing what could have happened in my stupid behind if God didn't keep me. So I viewed... I viewed now as a believer what I once enjoyed as bondage. In other words, when you get saved, you get rid, God gets rid of the manufacturing defects in your life. In other words, when you become a believer, you begin to live your life based on God being the manufacturer of your soul. And therefore, you want his owner's manual to properly function with you. Uh, uh, but many of us don't want to function based on the owner's manual. Let me see if I can make it plain because y'all looking at me funny. Um, 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 I, I, have, I am notorious for hating owner's manuals when putting something together. I am notorious with like electronics, like if I'm excited about the electronic, if I get a new TV, I want to watch my TV. I don't want to go to setup mode and plug this in and all that. If I get a TV, I'm ready to start watching that joint. So I'm about to put it on the table, plug that mug in, the remote asking me all this. I don't want to know all the setups. I want to watch something. You understand what I mean? So, 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 so basically, I'm ready to get, when, when me and my son, we got the Xbox One a few years back, we was like, I just want to play all these questions. Like, it's in the way of my enjoyment. <laughs> but the manufacturer gives you things to walk through so that you can know how to properly use your enjoyment. See, being in Jesus Christ is getting in this manual often the owner's manual and it helping you to understand that for freedom Christ has set you free so to be a prisoner of Christ is to be manufacturally free <laughs> so Paul says I got to move we can stay on that all day that's a great that's a great ideology right there but says Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus listen to all the family language here our Timothy our brother to Philemon our dear friend and co-workers, interesting here that he doesn't use familial language for Philemon, Aphia, who is believed to be Philemon's wife. He uses a language that calls her sister. He calls her his sister, but he calls Philemon a friend and a co-worker. I think this is very, very, very interesting because something that it wasn't that friend and co-worker is a bad thing. It's just that Paul is giving the seeds to Philemon that there's some ways in his life that he's not functioning as family. <laughs> and so what he wants to do is he said, I'm, I'm affirming good things about you, but there's some family 
functionality that's missing in your Christian faith in relation to your relationship with other Christians. Oh, that's gonna set us up real nice for later. And, and, and what's interesting is Philemon's name means affectionate one. And so he, he's, he's helping him to live up to his name. That, that affection would be broad. It's one thing to have good theology, family. You know, no one, I'm, I, I'm sick of evangelicalism having the greatest commentaries, the greatest appreciation for some of the greatest preachers and greatest commentaries, exegetical commentaries, expositional commentaries, church history, programs that'll knock your socks off, all conferences about keeping the gospel clear. And, but when it comes to issues of race and justice in this country, it, then now it's a non-theological issue and we're being too sociological. But when I look at my Bible, justice is a massive word in it. Exclusion of people is a massive word. It's not a separate from the gospel. It's diametrically connected to the gospel. It's connected to it. It's connected to it. It's connected to it. And, and it's, a, it's a natural outworking of your sanctification. So he calls him affectionate one. In other words, he said, I want you to live out the name that you were given. Second point. <clears throat> Family believes that people can change. Oh, Lord. Oh, to the Lord. <laughs> this is when it gets hard. Oh, because you know how we are. Let me not get ahead of myself. He said to Aphia, I'm cluding myself in that. He says, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Some people believe that Archippus was uh, Philemon's and Aphia, who they believe was his wife, Archippus' son. So Archippus, young buck. Young buck dude, and he, he, look what he says to him. He said to, and to, he, he says, Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, that may seem to you like nothing. But when you go over to Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, it says something interesting. You're like, who in the world is, like Paul just be naming some random people, seems like, right? But when you go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, and tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Huh? So Archippus, like right before that in verse 16 or 15, it says, read this letter before the whole church. So what we have here is Archippus being sort of put on blast in front of the church. But really it wasn't blast, it was a sense of encouragement. Now what I like about this is Archippus probably was a young dude that got called to ministry, and as he was called to ministry, he was trying to imitate everybody else. <clears throat> he was trying to be like everybody else, and Paul wanted to get the church around him. Mm. Um, um, because Paul saw the church as not just a meeting place, but a family of encouragement. Oh, it's real quiet in here now. And so Archippus was rough around the edges as a young believer probably. And so in light of that reality, he was calling the church around Archippus so that the church could become a massive encouragement to Archippus so that he could fulfill the ministry that God gave to him. And I, and I, got, I got to tell you, when you look at this and you now call, he said, now I'm upgrading you. I'm not telling you to fulfill your ministry. You already on the battlefield, fam. And he bigs up Archippus and says, salute to the homie Archippus. You understand what I'm saying? Hashtag fellow soldier. 
In other words, the apostle Paul, who sort of resurrected Jesus, bigs him up as a dude that took the challenge. Let me explain something to you. We are supposed to be a family that works with people who aren't ready for stuff. People that are struggling through life. The church should be the place of least unnecessary judgment. There's, there's righteous judgment, this for free, and there's unrighteous judgment. Judgmentalism is condemnation. But good 1 Corinthians chapter 2 judgment is when you judge somebody to help them to discern their path for sanctification. Oh, that was good. Oh, my God. You know, y'all don't, see, I don't know when to say amen. It's okay. I'll say amen for myself. Anyway, it's, in other words, this would be a community. What would I be if churches hadn't been patient with me? I, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give y'all something. Uh, I can remember in 1994 when I started finally walking with the Lord a year and a half after I trusted the Lord. And I remember being zealous, reading the Bible for three, four hours a day or more. And I was just learning so much. And I got into First Baptist Church of Highland Park in Landover, Maryland. And I went in that church and I began to, you know, how you do when you're a new believer and the church doesn't meet your red standards that you had alone and you think you're better than the church. So you begin to fluster, run your mouth, and I was wet behind the ears. You understand what I'm saying? And in that reality, the church was very patient with my impatience with it. Not knowing that my impatience wasn't maturity, it was immaturity. And I can't remember them wrestling me down and throwing me down. All I can remember was patience. I remember when I got my call to ministry during that particular time and I went uh, to Dallas Seminary uh, and, and, and you exposing a, a dude just to start walking with the Lord. I was, I, you know, I was, I'm getting Hebrew. I'm getting my Greek. You understand what I'm saying? I'm learning Aramaic, touching on some Syriac, a little U Ugaritic ministry. You understand? Some of y'all don't know. I'm just saying, I'm a dude from the block and then you got me all up in here on this, you know, theology, all this theology historical theology you understand what I'm saying Bible I mean I'm getting it in so I you know I'm going into South Dallas you know pants sagging a little little bit because because a little bit of the little John in me still you understand <laughs> so I'm over in South Dallas you know, you know and I'm all in South Dallas and I'm and I'm, I'm working with Bloods and Crips East Dallas locals and we, we, we straighten the projects, park our cars beside the projects having Bible study and I'm talking about hypostatic union and the locals like Homie, we don't know what you're talking about, man. You know, the, the, the black dude's like, say foo. You understand what I said, foo? We don't know. You know, they had finger waves. You know, I'm from D.C. We called them Bamas. I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, so I'm, we going at it, you know. And I, and, I, and, and, and I remember being at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and being arrogant because of what I was learning. And guess what? Again, the church was patient with me. I remember going, taking my first pastoral position at Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, one of the oldest churches in, black churches in Houston. And I can remember teaching the Wednesday noonday Bible study for the older saints. At 26 years old. Average age between 75 and 95. And I can remember, they said, baby, <laughs> and you're going to have to break that down, baby, you know, had to break that down. You know what they did for me? 
They cooked me bread pudding. They cooked me um, real gumbo, murky gumbo. You can't see nothing. Just some hands coming up out of there. That's some good gumbo. When my wife was sick, they took care of us. We were far away from home and they invited us in their home for Thanksgiving. And over that time, the church was patient with me. And I gotta tell you, there are times when I don't wanna be patient with my national white siblings. <laughs> in our church, we've probably gone through probably what I would call ignorant emails from whites, and we got the wokest whites, I think, on the planet at Epiphany. Y'all woke in the mud. Y'all woke into some of the black folk. I'd be like, God dang it. <laughs> like, wow, help me, Lord. Um, I'll be like, calm down, you, you worse than us now. Come on now, come on now, you, you boy. Woo, you understand? Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you going in. Um, <clears throat> but nationally, I am sick of ignorant comments. Help me today, God. I'm sick of ignorant comments like just preach the gospel. But when you talk about abortion, nobody says just preach the gospel, you deal with abortion as a gospel issue. When we talk about sex trafficking, you don't say just preach the gospel. You develop a battalion to go get people out of sex trafficking. But when we bring up the trauma of 400 years, it'll be 400 years in two years. Of the transatlantic slave trade, black codes, Jim Crow, school to prison pipeline, redlining of neighborhoods, like it's happening around here right now. Right now, if you grew up in this neighborhood, you can't even buy a house in this neighborhood. And if you could buy the house in this neighborhood, to fix it up would cost three times as much as the house, which is a major justice issue. Houses being held for people who don't live in this neighborhood to develop transitional housing for people who aren't from this neighborhood, who can financially benefit on this neighborhood while pushing other people out of the neighborhood. Now, I just wanna ask, is that a gospel issue? It's so funny that most of the schools in this neighborhood are underfunded, but nobody, but that, if I bring that up, it's, a, it's not a gospel issue. So what happens to me, family of God, <laughs> is I'm at a point where I just want to start black stuff that welcomes woke white people into it. I'm, I'm, hold on. I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing. I, I do think blacks need to develop its own leadership spaces. And we're not trying to exclude our Asians, our Latino brothers and sisters. I'm, we're really not. But you know the thread of racism in this country emphasizes and begins and ends with black and white, whiteness. And because of that, we have to deal with that. And I, I think God is telling me, based on the Bible, not my emotions, and what I feel like the Spirit's saying inside of me. Because, you know, we can make up some stuff. I felt the Spirit say, just roll, you know? I mean, you know how we do, you know? And then don't check it in the Bible. I, I felt the wind of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost said, Go. you know, this text is saying something else. How do I know it's saying something else? It's powerful what this text is saying. Because as you begin to say, he says, and to the church that meets in his house. Wow. So the church met in a slave master's house. Wow. 
You gotta understand, the church meeting in your house back then meant you were a baller. Total baller. See our sanctuary, see how this looks? <clears throat> Imagine the balcony going all the way around with, and all the way around right there. They had a middle courtyard that was open. And churches, or they would have gatherings and different things in their home, and that meant you, you had bread. The church met in his house. It's interesting that the church met in his house, and he probably had slaves serving during his gatherings. <laughs> and Paul encourages him as a believer because it's interesting for the first three centuries of the church, this for free, and this for my whole text that's hating on Christianity, calling it the white man's religion. Some of y'all know what hoteps is. Just email me, ask me what it is. <laughs> Say Christianity is the white man's religion and that slavery is used as a tool through transatlantic slave trade to enslave black people to a white man's religion so we can be enslaved to white supremacy. Background information of this text shows us that for the first three centuries, in Christians understanding the scriptures, they didn't get buildings, they actually met in homes. And a lot of the reasons, not just persecution, it was because of what they wanted to fund. And one of the major things that the churches funded for the first three centuries cross-ethnically, which was mostly Middle Eastern Christians and North African Christians, who were mostly between olive-complected and blue-black. They used part of their offering to free slaves. <laughs> the hoteps don't teach you that, though. I got so much more on that to say, but I got to save something for the other weeks. Um... As we look at this, I come to my last point. Family should strengthen family. Family should strengthen family. Look at what it says. It says, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. I struggle with this. I, I struggle all the way with that statement from Paul because he's praying for a slave master. How can an apostle of Jesus Christ who saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the book of Acts was mistaken of being an Egyptian, which lets you know that Paul wasn't white. How could he, knowing the Egyptian caste system, the Damascus caste system, the Roman caste system, say to a believer who is a slave master, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Matter of fact, he says, you come up in my prayers a whole lot. You know what this tells me, black people in particular? As much as I want to give up, I give up on evangelicalism. I give up on that. I don't give up on Jesus and the church. Now, the question is, what does this say about our valid hurt and betrayal of American Christianity. It doesn't say an easy solution, but what it does say is we still have to affectionately pray for those who have offended us. That's mind-boggling. 
But that doesn't mean that we don't deal with needs for restitution. A to the doggone man. Uh, forgiveness doesn't mean, in the words of my friend Leon's Crump, forgiveness does not mean a lack of commitment to making issues right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to land it. Um, I got a lot to say here. Verse 5. Because I hear of your love for all the saints, he's putting it on thick on them. He said, you love everybody, don't you? <laughs> Later, he's going to talk about a guy named Onesimus that we'll see in a minute. And he's going to want to know whether or not his love includes his slaves. <laughs> does your love include your slaves, a Philemon? And if it does, what does that practically look like? <laughs> you, you live in privilege, Philemon. You're in a privileged position. And yes, you're letting the church meet in your house. Yes, you're doing some good things, but that doesn't exonerate the extent that you must apply the gospel to. This is, this is unbelievable. And so as we look at this and we see this reality, I like what the text says. There's so much here. It's because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, I'm going to make it more specific. Y'all still tracking with me? He says, I pray that your participation, Greek word here, koinonia, fellowship. I pray your fellowship in the faith. Doesn't just mean faith in Christ. It means all of the, uh, 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 the faith in Pauline literature means everything that we fundamentally believe and hold in common. That's what it means. And he says, in the faith may become effective through knowing. Somebody say knowing. knowing. Now, the normal word, I'm giving you Greek for a reason. Gnosko is the normal word for knowledge. But he adds a preposition on the front of it to ma maximize the potency of what he's saying to Philemon. He says, epigonosko, in other words, knowledge that comes from experience. Not just information, but knowledge of holistic, full-throttle experience. What is he talking about? In participation with other believers that are in different socioeconomic classes than you and different ethnicities in you. That means with the way we develop an effectiveness in our gospel relationships is if while in community, we're being challenged by people's stories. We're being challenged in our blind spots to make the effective nature, the word effective means uh, 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 producing God's intended results in our life. What does that come from? Getting with people that don't agree with you. <clears throat> Even if they've hurt you. I, I'll never forget my dad. This year, my dad was, he passed, and he passed at, uh, last year I mean, he passed at um, 93 years old, 92, he'd, be, he'd have been 93. And me and him had some beef over the years. I love my dad. But we had some beef that inhibited our fellowship at times. And I, I decided, <coughs> I just sensed the Lord saying, you need to get his life story on video. And so I start videoing my dad. And my dad tells me a story I'd never heard. He says, son, I was between the ages of 11, 8 and 11 years old. You know, my dad left at six months. I already knew that. At six months old, he said, but between eight and 11 years old, he said, I can't remember exactly what it was because he grew up in Jim Crow South 
in the early 20s to the 30s. So he begins talking about him having to get a job to help out the house. Then he said, I started working for a dry cleaners. I was like, a dry cleaners? They had dry cleaners in the 30s? I was like, dang. He was like, yes, son, they did. Um, <laughs> so he said, I worked for this dry cleaner, son. And he said, eight suits came up missing. And he said, they believe I stole them. And he said, I was in bed one night and the police came to my house, dragged me out of bed, put me in jail and began to brutally beat me. And I was like, and I'm just looking at him. And he said, they beat me and they kept, it was really torture because they were trying to beat a confession out of him. My grandmother comes to the prison because they told her if she tried to protect them, they'd kill her. So he goes and she goes to the prison and looks at my dad and couldn't recognize him. And she began weeping and she ran to the sharecropper's home, the owner of the sharecropping that my grandfather worked with, and went to the house and said, they're beating my son, they're gonna beat him to death. And she comes out and he comes out and he goes in and he says, why are y'all beating this boy? And he said, because he stole eight suits. He said, eight suits? He said, this boy is like, not even, he's barely 75 pounds. How can he carry eight suits out of a dry cleaners? Then the police, and he said, let the boy go. I'll take care of him. And they ended up letting him go. And my father can tell me, he told me story after story that of how he saw his uncle get lynched. He just told me all these different stories. And my heart widened for him. He told me after coming back from World War II and the Korean War, being called a nigger, when he fought for a country, and he threw his purple hearts in the trash. And as I began to enter into his story, I understood him a little bit more. And that understanding made forgiveness and relationship easier. See, that's what the body has to do, is I don't think we need to come to quick solutions on the issue of race and justice. As a matter of fact, I think quick solutions are more damaging than the problem itself because the problem is too deep for a simple solution. That means we have to spend time talking to each other so that God's effective work in our community can bond us together based on the glory of the gospel. But then he says, for I have great joy and encouragement from you. He says, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. What's interesting here that's tough is that Paul sees him as a godly man in the midst of a massive blind spot. It's very tough, and so we're splintered as the church. And I'm opening a series, and somebody say, I'm sick of talking about these issues. Well, this is the wrong church to be at. <laughs> it's just the wrong one. But we're a family. As broken as we are, and separate and splintered and filled with schisms, you are my siblings. Yeah. 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 Closing. Um, great movie. <laughs> 
Soul Food, the movie. Um, great movie. I don't care what you say. It's a great movie, and um, every Christian needs to watch it. Amen. It's not um, Tyler Perry's Chitless Circanish. I'm dad. Why did I? I shouldn't have said that. My bad. Um, yeah. So, Soul Food. <clears throat> um, It's interesting that during the movie, every Sunday, they would have a soul food meal. And then when Big Mama died, everything fell apart. And they didn't want to have that meal together no more. Adultery and family loss and job loss and snotty relatives who think they're better than the other working class, all of that stuff happened. Then a young boy stands up in the kitchen one day after the fire starts and says, why can't we all be family. We're supposed to be. He great, the greatest tears in the history of TV comes out of this boy's eyes. <laughs> then they were able to sit at the table, finally. And as they sat at the table, adulterers sat across the table from adulterers. Snotty, highfalutin, stood across the table from working class. And Big Mama's image came in. She wasn't really there, but it was like an image. And she looked at everybody at the table and smiled. Because the thing that she tried to do to keep their family together, they remembered and somehow got brought back together at the same table. My, that's my prayer for the church, is we have the best soul food table on the planet. And it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have eaten and drank him. Now we need to sit at the table together. Father, we thank you for the renewing power of the gospel. Lord God, our souls are in desperate need for your gospel work. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would strengthen us and help us to become the body you want us to become. In Jesus' name, amen. Let our men come. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.